You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Hello, my name is Chad Picard, and I own a couple of bike stores up in Chile, South Dakota still. And today on Bicycle Retail Radio, my guest is Toby DePaw. Hello, Toby. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Chad. Yeah, I'm really excited for this. We've had some conversations on on the phone that probably maybe could have been podcasts, only they were like three hours long or something <laughs> yeah. like that. So the, the editor would have had a pretty heavy job to edit that down. So I've known you for a couple of years now, but give our listeners like a two to three minute resume. All right. Well, I started in the bike industry in 2004. I was kind of hired off the street by a guy looking to buy the local bike shop in a small town about 60 miles west of Chicago in Illinois and really started from the ground. Really, I had not worked in a bike shop before. I liked bikes, but I wasn't a bike nerd. And so I kind of started at zero and all of my employees knew more than me. And I assumed every customer walking in the store knew more than me. And so that was kind of foundational in how I approached business and continue to approach business. The shop, when we had picked it up, was at less than zero. I mean, they had run that thing into the ground numerous accounts that were not being maintained well, really poor community relationships. So we were at less than zero, I'd say. And so we had a lot of work just kind of digging out of that ditch. So that was the first couple of years of business, remodeling, rebranding, learning the bike business. We were both, my partner and I were new to the business. And then we just kind of hit our stride in, in trying to do things a little differently. We were just outside of the sprawl of Chicago. So we kind of had our own little playground out there. And frankly, it was not a very exciting place to ride bikes. It was super flat and there was just not much nature to explore out there. And so we kind of had our own sandbox out there, which was a luxury. So jump forward a number of years, we were starting to kind of surf some of the trends before they were big. We were early to gravel, early to fat bike, early to titanium, and just ended up over the course of 10 years quadrupling the store to everyone's surprise, including ours. We did that just through trying to be nice at every opportunity and be creative. We did a number of events. Eventually, we started a nonprofit called Axletree, partnered with a couple very smart and kind friends that helped me put together some great ideas. We launched events like the Gravel Metric, Blubber Bike, the Night Bison, 10,000, tons of smaller events in the community. And then in 2015, I had an opportunity to jump on with a small startup called Black River in Madison, Wisconsin. And so we moved our family up here and we launched Black River in 2016 and relaunched as People for Bikes Ride Spot last year. And so now I'm at People for Bikes, full-time working on the RideSpot platform, chiefly working with affiliates and, and bike shops to get them to use the tools and to kind of fit that into their workflow and their sales process. So that is the very quick version of the last <laughs> 15 years of my life. <laughs> and you also have a couple side projects where you, you do some bookmaking yep. and even have something called stewardship retail. Yeah, the bookbinding thing is is an interesting, I mean, there's not that many bookbinders these days, so it is pretty unique. But after college, I worked and lived in Central America and worked for a small bookbindery and brought that home with me. And just as life went on, continued to do that on the side. And when we moved to Madison, I kind of packed everything up for a couple of years and then relaunched it once I had a space to work. So that's called Mordecai Book Building. And it's always been kind of a creative outlet. I'm really into tactile paper products. I'm really into physical goods, handmade goods. So I've been able to weave that into the bike business and kind of uh, into the bike shop 
back then and and now I, I'm really excited to be working with a lot more bike shops doing bicycle related books and pocketbooks. And then stewardship retail is really just it's kind of just evolved on its own where it's just been this pocket where I put all these thoughts that don't fit into the people for bikes ride spot agenda and don't fit into books necessarily just an approach to retail that was successful for us. And so starting to talk about that a little bit more. That's what I, I spoke on at Frostbike in February. It's an approach to retail that's really from my heart. So I've enjoyed kind of letting that out a little bit more this year. Yeah. So incredibly boring stuff. Like, I don't know how you keep anybody's attention. We could end it now. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. thanks everybody. Yep. Just don't forget to thumbs up uh, our podcast and we'll see you next time. No, it, yeah. the book thing is really intriguing, but it, well, we're, we're going to talk about some stewardship today. And, and kind of some details around that. And why stewardship retail? Why why stewardship? And, and maybe for our listeners, what is stewardship? Maybe some don't know. Maybe it's a bizarre religious term that just doesn't register with them, or maybe it's something they don't even know. Thank you. That I'd love to explain that. The stewardship concept really comes from an approach we started to use at the bike shop many years ago, which was really trying to approach the sales process and the customer and the customer experience is something that was our responsibility to take care of and really putting the customer's kind of needs in the store and after the purchase before our own and trying to take care of yeah anything that anything that we could provide that we would before asked so that was a kind of an obtuse way to say something, but I'll explain more. It's just an approach to retail that puts people first. It's an opportunity to take care of our staff, take care of our customers and take care of ourselves. That's the most concise way I think I can put it. And that comes out in a number of methods and practices that we used at the bike shop and that I've been sharing with bike shops since. So what you're saying is we just got to give bikes to our customers. That's it, right? I mean, that's what they're coming to get from us. They're getting the latest dropper post, the latest wheel set, and that's it, right? Or is there... That's exactly wrong. <laughs> no, uh, loaded question. Loaded question. No, the idea that commodities... I'm going to step back for a second. So I feel really privileged to have been sitting on the front lines of retail from 2004 until 2015, because I think that window was just so dramatic and so tumultuous, where in front of my eyes, I saw the value of the QBP book go from gold to garbage. I mean, it just, we would wait until that giant catalog came in. We were the keepers. We, we had the information. We had the knowledge and we had the access to the parts, to the stuff. And, and we, had the, we had the information, so people had to come to us. And so very quickly in those early years, we saw information become available to everybody. Customers started coming in with the part numbers from our QBP catalog, and it was unnerving. And so the commodity aspect of bike retail uh, dramatically changed in those years to the point where we no longer are the gatekeepers. And I think that a lot of people are struggling with that transition, but we don't hold the keys. We don't to the commodities anyway. But we also have this, we have incredible value in how we can add to the experience. We can add to the product. We can offer our personal experience. And so brick and mortar retail is in a really powerful spot right now because that's still, even though consumers are changing, I think that value is increasing 
the human to human value that you can add to a product, I think is growing every day. And we're seeing that in terms of online businesses are starting to incarnate with brick and mortar stores. That's telling us that brick and mortar has value. So the commodity aspect, I just don't mean to be hyperbolic, but I think just the commodity products by themselves, they can get, the customers can get stuff. And so we're no longer the gatekeepers of the commodities. And so what do we have? What value do we have? And if we can bring them to a better understanding of the product through our personal experience, if we can share a personal anecdote of how we use the product, if we can share our knowledge of where to ride their bikes, then we have something. We've got a product. We've got something interesting that other people don't have and the internet doesn't have. So if 2004 to 2012 was where we owned the information as retailers, and, and I think back to the, the quality catalog, and for those of you that have been in the industry for a long time, I mean, you're describing it right. It's, receiving that catalog was Christmas. And, and I, wish, mm-hmm. I wish I had every one of those well-worn catalogs. So the time I went actually, out. Do you, uh, we do had, you have for them? a number of years, I, I had until a couple years ago because I had actually rebound the, the TCG or the Trek catalog and the QBP catalog into hardcover editions so oh, that they would goodness. be more abuse friendly, which yeah. I thought was so smart. But then it was like, oh, I'll just look online. <laughs> It wasn't even don't worth wanna, going to get the big heavy book. Don't want to get the pages. But you're dirty. right. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. Christmas. I mean, it was like, hey, everybody, lock the doors. We're going page to page on this sucker right now. Yeah. Oh, man, I remember those. And, and if you visit Quality Bicycle Products in Bloomington, they actually, in their hallway, they have all of their covers. Man, I just remember all of them. Bike nerd. I've been in the industry since 80, I don't know, 88. So, yeah, wow. I've seen a lot of them. Now it's it's 2020. And... We have a global economy. We have our customers are getting, you know, hopefully they're getting parts from us, but they're getting them from overseas. They're getting them information from a multitude of websites. Is there too much information out there then? And bike shops are the ones that are helping our, our consumers navigate that now in a different way. It's not necessarily this way is this many grams and this has this many speeds, but it's this is how you use this product or where you would use this product? Yeah, I think that the pendulum is starting to swing back where as consumers, we were like, oh, wow, I can get this for this much cheaper over here, or I can order it and get it faster over here. But I think we've been burnt by that. As consumers, I think that we've made mistakes and we've learned from those mistakes. And we're like, you know what? I I know I can get this from this generic company online, but I don't know that that's a good idea now that I've made this mistake and that part didn't hold up or I got the wrong chain width or the wrong pulley. So I think that there is a little bit more of a a swing coming back towards the value of that advice and that knowledge, but it won't, it will never go back to the way it was. Give me an example of good experience in the store that you worked at of just good stewardship, maybe by, by you or an employee or maybe someone that worked for you. Sure. So the process that really kind of birthed stewardship retail was a process that we called the 510 card. That was born out of our experience with fat bikes, actually. Fat bikes were a boon for us. We were in Northern Illinois, so we had a a deep winter. It would get very quiet. We had no mountains, so no skis. And so fat bikes were an opportunity to just sell things in the winter months. And so we embraced those early and we realized that every sale started to drag on and on because we were like, oh, and you're going to need this. And you wouldn't be caught dead out there without this. And we kept adding on all these different items, which were very good and very important to share. But the way that we were approaching it was not successful. We decided to just formalize 
that process. And so we made this card called the Fat Pack that listed all the most relevant add-on accessories on the back. So we split them out from needs, wants, and desires, and just kind of made a checklist for people to make their own choice. And our add-on sales blew up. I mean, just incredible. And so we ended up applying that to every category in the store. And the reason it was a more of an approach of stewardship was we were saying, hey, I want you to go out and have the best possible first experience when you leave that store. And if I don't tell you to buy a high volume pump, you're going to have a very negative experience if you go out there. If I don't tell you that you should buy these nice gloves or this particular helmet, say, you might have a negative experience. And I had the opportunity to improve the likelihood that you'd have a good experience. So it was that approach of saying, it's not just my goal to get you to the register. It's my goal to make sure that that first ride is fantastic and that you fall in love with cycling. Because what we all want to avoid is the one and done consumer that goes, buys their bike because they're motivated for whatever reason. They have a negative first or second experience and they hang it up. And we called those garage ornaments. You know, that was it. That was the end of it. And so we want to, we want people to fall in love with cycling and build community around our bike shop. So we need to make sure that they know where to ride by sharing routes. And that's one of the big reasons I jumped onto RideSpot early on. And then make sure they have everything they need to have a good experience. Because that's, I want them to think of our shop when they're out having a great time. And I don't want them to think of our shop when they're having a negative time or a bad time. So that was kind of, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but that's an example of just the approach. And what that actual, what that paper card, the fat pack, and then the 510 cards, what those did, they acted as as a checklist. It, It put the onus on the consumer to say, oh, here's my information. I can do with this what I will. And they would self-navigate through the store using that checklist. And then it wasn't us just like a dripping faucet saying, and you need this, and you need this, and you need this. So we were improving our in-store experience and increasing the likelihood of a positive experience after the sale. So I started in bike stores as I think I was 14. And it was a, you know, the occasion that you'd sell a bike, especially at at that age or even in the following years was, oh, oh my goodness, I sold a bike. I'm done. You know, like Mm -hmm. that was, you know, that was the finish line was the bike. And over the years, I mean, growing up in the industry, you learn that that's not enough. But how do you come out of the gate with that type of thinking for your staff? How do you how do you train to that? other than saying you have to do it. What are, is there a magic story you can tell your staff that that makes it all clear? I don't know that I have a magic story, but- How about a funny story? (laughs) uh, I'll I'll find somewhere in the balance between funny and magic. But when I started in the bike shop, I had not been living in the States. I think I'd been back in the States for about six, seven months. And in Central America, I was living in a very impoverished inner city a scenario that really gave me a different perspective on the world. And so when I came back, it was, I had kind of a crash landing into suburban America. And when I got the job at the bike shop, I had a real hard time selling, <laughs> selling things because I just didn't think people needed them. And I thought there's so much better things, so many more better things for you to do with your money than buy this expensive bicycle, which is a terrible approach to a sales job. <laughs> it's really bad. And so my my business partner, who I learned a lot from, really said, hey, this is our business. This is what we have to do to support our families. This is what we have to do to support our employees. And it started to change my perspective on sales. And so it was kind of like, well, I want to get paid. And my dad actually was the one that really 
helped me understand this the best. My dad's owned Red Wing shoe stores since I was a kid. And I was kind of raised in specialty retail in that sense. But he said, you know, if people are coming into your store, you're not, you're not stealing food from their kids. You're not taking bread off the table. Their bread's on the table. If they're willing to put that much money down on a bike, you don't have to worry about their other needs. They're making the choice to come in and make this decision. And that's their choice, not yours. Your decision or your choice is to give them the best service possible so that you can provide for your people. And, and that's kind of how I came into the industry, came into sales and started to kind of make it my own. And so in talking to my employees and talking to bike shops now, it's like, well, we want a pair of bills, don't we? We want to pay our employees, don't we? We want to survive. And there's nothing selfish or ugly about that. I think in the bike industry, there's a lot of good people that are afraid to make money. <laughs> and I've just come a long way since those early days where it's like, no, I want businesses to be successful so they can support employees on a long-term basis. So they can raise the ceiling on what bike shops can pay so they can grow. They can, they can become influential members of their communities and for good. I think that's been the approach that I've stuck with is just like, well, it's not selfish, especially with bikes, to want to build a business that can get more people on bikes. I think bikes are a beautiful product and they're unique in the world in that they are a vehicle for community like few products are. Yeah, there's, a, there, I, I still can't find anything wrong with bikes other than <laughs> not having the next one. <laughs> right. Right. I think of customers walking into a store, if we don't show them the good stuff or if we don't sell them something, them walking out the door, they're, they're not just going to, their desire for that product is not going to end. They're, they're going to continue to the next door, to the next door. I would hope that our amazing specialty bike retailers would equip themselves to be able to handle that need or to sell to that need so that you know, you, I always, you kind of brought it up earlier. You want something and you buy it online and you get it and it's, you know, maybe it's an electronic, maybe it's a counterfeit, maybe it's not, it's too big, it's too small, doesn't fit quite right. That's a negative experience that can lead to the garage ornaments. And so, yeah, I think it is critical that we sell to our customers when they come in our doors and show them the good stuff. Your dad is wise in telling that to you, knowing that coming from a retail environment, sharing that with you and hopefully staff that he worked with. And hopefully that brought him lots of success. Something that you said earlier made me think of another perspective. And, and you were at my seminar at Frostbike, which was called The Sale is Not the Summit. And you had asked kind of how I communicated that approach to, to customers or sorry, to staff and what made it important to them. And I think that one thing that was unique about our shop was we did try to take the long view on sales. And that's essentially what that seminar was about was you may have to lose the sale in front of you to make the customer. And if there's a better solution for them that you can't provide, you're actually adding value to their experience by showing them that. Yes, you got to make sales. Yeah, you have to make sure your bills are paid. But I think if you take offense, you know, when they show you something online and you react negatively, then you're not going to have the opportunity to talk to that customer again. So taking the long view on customer relationships and knowing like, yeah, I'm going to sell them this basic bike right now. But if I play my cards right and we build a good relationship, this could be a 10-year, $10,000 relationship. But if I play my cards wrong and I treat this person like less than a person because I'm busy or for whatever reason, you don't have that opportunity. 
Yeah, you hit the kind of the nail on the head with the, the lifetime value of a customer. I've been fortunate enough to see those customers that have been interested in cycling. They've come in and bought an entry-level hybrid or something like that to one of my favorite customers that within, I'm going to say 20 years, went from a hybrid rider, leisurely riding, to now she's a, she was up until a couple of years ago, she was a USA Cycling official and wow. had gravel bike, cycle cross bike, road bike. I mean, she had kind of the, the quiver of bikes. And to share that with her and to, to see that progress is very rewarding. But I also got to employ people to work with her and give back to the community. And it's the lifetime value of a, of a bike customer is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if yeah. you sit down and, and do the math. A lot of our listeners are, are retailers, but we have a lot of vendors that listen too. What's it like to be a vendor and, and how do you be a, a good steward to, to your retailers or to the, the people that you're selling to? Great question. Thank you. Well, I feel very fortunate now to be working with people for bikes because it's a very unique perspective in that it's neutral. We are on everyone's side. And so I really enjoy being able to work with all sorts of different shops and retailers and suppliers and other advocates and learn from all those different perspectives. So I, I feel very fortunate to have such a perspective in our industry. And I do feel that stewardship retail and this approach perfectly applies to my job now with People for Bikes and RideSpot is I want my customers who are retailers, although they're collaborators, I don't, I, as opposed to customers. I want them to be successful and I want to guide them through an experience with RideSpot and with some of the ideas that we're sharing so that they can find success in the long term. And with suppliers, it's been fun to kind of be on the other side of the fence, if you will, you know, going to conferences and going in the other door and being on the other side of the table has been interesting seeing that we're all the same. It's all the same people in different positions and we're all out for the same thing, which is to succeed, to find success and, and, and do our employers well and to to feed our families. More now than ever, I just feel this really strong feeling that there is no us versus them. There is no retailer versus customer. There is no car versus driver. There's no retailer versus supplier. It's all us. It's, it's we. It's not us versus them. And so I've enjoyed the change in perspective. And I really kind of am enjoying this position in, with People for Bikes just to be kind of a coach and a cheerleader. I don't quite know if there's one role that does both those things, but that's how I feel with RideSpot. And then with Stewardship Retail, I think I've just started to find some real joy in just throwing ideas out that could be beneficial to people and people can take them or leave them. I just want to share them. What, what are some of the things you've done with, you've got an Instagram account with for Stewardship Retail. What are some of the things that you've thrown out there? Just recently, in light of all the tumult, I decided it was time to just create a platform or a different place for people to see these things that wasn't just me or just wasn't RideSpot and wasn't Mordecai, the, the book stuff. And I put together that Instagram account pretty much just to share this very simple, basic idea, which was, uh, hey, bike shops, it's time to post your PayPal, post your Venmo, give your fans an opportunity to support you because this is an odd time. Your business is crazy, changing by the hour. And you have a lot of fans that may or may not need anything from you right now, but that doesn't change the fact that they care about your success and your survival. So give them an opportunity to be generous. Post your PayPal. For a number of days, I was just reaching out to bike shops and saying, hey, what's your PayPal? I'm going to throw it on my Instagram story. And I had a number of people do that. And 
I've just been so encouraged by stories of people just being really generous with their local bike shops. And one in particular, very close to my heart, was Comrade Cycles in Chicago. They just added kind of a support button on their website. And they've they've been posting the sales screens from all those. And their fans are just crushing it with support. It's beautiful. And I've I've had a couple other notes from other retailers that have found success in doing that. And the interesting thing is I, I see a lot of comments from retailers saying like, we don't believe in taking money for nothing. We're not a charity case. And I really, I kind of like that stubbornness because yeah, we do value our labor and we value our time and we don't want to be charity cases, but bike shops do a ton of good for their communities that they don't get paid for. And so this is an opportunity for communities to come back and, and support bike shops and just pay for the things that they didn't pay for before. And this is a time, I sat in on a webinar the other day, and I I think it was Dan Mann that mentioned just a time of vulnerability and transparency. And I love that because that really is what it is. We're all trying to figure this out in real time and nobody has the answers. Consumers don't always have to consume, but they do want their bike shops to survive. So long-winded answer to this question, but really the money for nothing campaign was just Put a button on your website that allows people to give you money in exchange for nothing. And gift cards are great. Buying stuff is great. But gift cards mean maintenance of information and maybe shipping gift cards. Buying stuff online is great. But that means that person has to take time out of their busy schedule to package something and ship something. Those are all good. But think there's a place for people to just be generous with their local bike shops right now. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And I know enough people in the food industry that same thing. Uh, yeah, they're absolutely. seeing that as well, which is great because I mean, we all, I hope we all love really good food. <laughs> Bicycle Retail Radio is supported by our NBDA members. All our member benefits can be found at nbda.com. Join the NBDA today. I hope to take that message into other categories. This is just where I'm starting because this is where I know people and this is where I think I have just enough connections that I can say, hey, please share this idea and I I can make an impact. So that's where I'm starting. I've loved seeing the posts and I I hope to see a lot more and and continued stories surrounding that. I want to go back to talking a little bit about perspective. You've, You've brought that up a couple times from a couple different questions. Do you think we have a good grasp of our customers' perspective when they come into our stores? I think we do if we think hard enough about it. I think we just if we stop and and remember to put ourselves in their shoes, it's not difficult. It's just the idea that we don't always have that practice in place of staying in the mindset of our customer and remembering what it was like to be a new cyclist. We have the same conversation 100 times a day and we just jump to the end of that and we don't take them through every step. But if we if we remember what it was like to be a new cyclist and we didn't know what to say, we didn't know the right language, we didn't know what to ask, we didn't know how to ask questions because we didn't know what to ask. If we remember that, that gives us the opportunity and the perspective to meet them where they're at. And I think we'll be more successful if we can do that. So I really don't think that it's difficult for people to do that if they remember to do that. So we've mentioned BrideSpot a few times. As a cyclist, I use Strava, I use Ride with GPS. What customer needs RideSpot or needs the features that RideSpot has? I need watts, I need cadence, I need 
to know if I beat my best friend in a segment. Are there customers that struggle with navigating simple routes through the city? Absolutely. RideSpot actually came out of two separate endeavors that merged together. Black River, which is the app that I jumped onto to help create the software, was born of the idea that there should be a route sharing platform that's more story forward, that embraces the value that we find in retailers, which is retailers know the best places to ride. So we wanted to make those places available to everybody through a digital platform. And then People for Bikes had invested money and time and perspective in a research project backed by Shimano and, and some of the best retailers in the country to discover what are the greatest barriers to cycling. And far and away, the top barrier was finding safe places to ride. And so we merged, we partnered up to make the best places to ride easy to find, easy to navigate. And then the second biggest barrier was finding other people to ride with because cycling is very intimidating. So another feature in RideSpot that's handy for both retailers and for new riders is just finding meetups, finding group rides, finding clinics. And all of this is evolving in real time right now, but there's value still to connecting people and there will be when this cloud passes. And then the last feature that I think is solid gold right now that we're making available for free is our challenges feature. Challenges are a little unique on RideSpot in that we make it a route specific challenge. So retailers can post a route and say, hey, everybody go ride this route between this date and this date. And you can get something, an award of our choice for completing it. And I think that's especially cool right now because it's an event you don't have to go to. People can do it on their own time at a safe social distance. They can go ride that route and then they can visit a web shop to redeem a coupon or they can get something free in the mail. There's all sorts of creativity stemming from some of the new restrictions and limitations. So we're waiving the fee. That's essentially a premium feature for our financial supporters. But we, we want to make sure that shops can thrive in this weird time. So we're waiving the fee on that and making that available to all retailers for a limited time. And ultimately, you'd said there's Strava, there's Ride with GPS, there's phenomenal platforms out there that can accomplish many of the same things. We're trying to take a slightly more story forward approach, something a little less intimidating. We don't want to make it about competition or about endurance. We want to make it friendly, inviting, and comfortable for a new rider to jump in and get going. So you're saying I shouldn't take all of my KOM segments and copy them over to RideSpot? You certainly can. <laughs> it's just we're not going to compare yours to anybody else's. <laughs> so 30 days of biking is a thing in April. So if I were a bike store and I wanted to do a challenge, what types of routes are important for those the, the newer cyclists? Great question. <laughs> I think that because I think it goes a little bit against our, as avid cyclists, this goes a little against our nature or inclination in that connecting the dots right now is very important for new riders. There are a lot of people that no longer have access to mass transit and they're looking to use their bicycle as a mode of transportation, but they only take mass transit or they only drive in cars. So the routes that they typically take from A to B are not ideal for bikes. So bike shops stepping up and saying like, hey everybody, this is the safest way to get from this community into downtown. That's a solution. That's a real solution for someone right now. That's incredibly valuable. We take it for granted because we know that. But that's not, it's not easy to find if you're if you're not into cycling already. And now more than ever, they can't go into the bike shop and ask that question. So making it available through 
hosting it on RideSpot and sharing it out on social media is incredibly valuable. And then as far as challenges, just taking those basic commuter routes and making commuter challenges, that's easy and that's fun to accomplish. That's satisfying for a rider to say, oh, that's only eight miles. I can do that you know, on my lunch break. They go and they ride that on their lunch break and they get a notification that says, congratulations, you got 10% off at spokensport.com. That's a good feeling. That's a good feeling for the rider and that's a good feeling for the retailer as well. So I think it's just a matter of, again, putting yourself in the in the shoes of that new rider. And you can do stuff for avid riders too. You can certainly post a challenge that's 100 miles if you want and people can do it if they feel so inclined. But I think the key now, especially with the free challenges, is just to make the most of it. Post 5, 10, 20 mile challenges. Post a variety and let people self-sort and that they'll accomplish what they want or do them all. I, I think just giving riders an opportunity to go out and do something, giving them some structure and giving them a little perk for doing that. It's just a little bit of good news that we all need right now. Yeah, and I think I think we can all agree. Earlier we said that there's nothing wrong with biking. There's a huge mental and physical impact that it can have on our lives just for clarity or creativity. I'm not a doctor, but I, I've seen USA Cycling some posted some videos about it and getting out and biking currently is okay as long as you're being smart about it. And so encouraging customers to get out, I think is great. Using an app like this to give them some direction, also great. And if you think earlier, I had brought up the idea of a lifetime value of a customer. And for a company like Starbucks, they're selling coffee. I'm going to imagine that their average transaction is maybe $5 or $6. And you would think that, you know, the lifetime value of that, maybe a couple thousand dollars, but the lifetime value of a Starbucks customer is over $14,000 at that $5 at a time. We're not selling $5 trinkets at our stores. We're selling, you know, a way of life. It's a little bit more expensive thing, but here's an opportunity with 30 days of biking. A retailer really could create a challenge and attract a new customer by creating a challenge. And I love patches and you can get patches uh -huh. made for super cheap, but the idea of being rewarded for a 30 day biking challenge and getting that new customer in the store and looking taking the long view and, and hey, I'm going to really impact this person's life by selling them cycling and not just the standard Schwinn Varsity or the whatever that base model is. I'm going to start them there or maybe a little higher. They're going to love it so much. They're going to have the gear. They're going to have just everything that goes around a great cycling experience to yep. create a lifetime customer. You said earlier on, we have a huge opportunity right now with our customers. Yeah, I think, and I think that's unique. There are few, few industries that can look at this odd time as an opportunity. And in no way do I mean to to make light of the trials ahead of us, but I do yeah. think bike shops do have a unique opportunity to do good for their communities and to do good for their business. And on the 30 days of biking topic, I wanted to mention some of the stuff kind of behind the curtain that we're working on is to change, to give retailers more ways to inspire riders. Our challenges currently are route-based, so we call those ride the route challenges. We're working on other challenges that are ride more often and ride more miles so that you could have longer term engagement with riders just saying, hey, ride your bike 10 times this month or see if you can ride 100 miles this month. I mean, it, it, that doesn't sound like a lot to an avid rider, but to a new rider, that's a lot. So we're working on those things behind the scenes. And just the more we can get people engaged now and the more we can grow now, the faster that we can get that stuff into the real world. Yeah. And even for as 
an employer myself, I'm thinking, you know, I need to do this for my staff as well. Create a, a staff challenge of getting on bikes more often. Because I don't know anybody in the bike industry that says, oh, I just, I bike too much this time <laughs> of year. <laughs> I've yeah. never said that. In fact, I think more common comments have been, you're nicer to be around when you get out for a ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there's a deeper message in that where we, well, there's a couple things I want to say to that point. A lot of us got into the bike industry because we love bikes and we believed at some point that this was what we wanted to do with our lives. And that was focused on bikes, but bikes don't buy bikes, people buy bikes. So in order to sell bikes, you need to talk to people and that can take its toll. And if we forget, (laughs) if we forget why we got into it, then it's hard for us to be authentic and to be kind. And so part of stewardship retail is taking care of yourself. And I encourage all retailers to go take a nap, go for a bike ride, take a nap, get restored so that you can do your job better. You can take care of your customers better. You can take care of your staff better. And yeah, just don't forget bikes are good for you and they'll make you a better person. They will. So speaking of trinkets and and things to maybe gift to customers or even even maybe sell in your store, let's talk about your your book project. Let's talk about Mordecai. Yeah. What do you want to know? (laughs) Well, we've got six hours left, so I'd like to know all of this. Uh, I've kind of imagined this event for my clients and and maybe even just friends or whatever, but, you know, a a sub 24 bikepacking trip that's just the goofy quirky things maybe branded with my store and my colors yeah. like matchbooks i mean how goofy is that bottle openers is as a industry staple but you yeah. know even things like a way to kind of record the experience so a, a little maybe a little book or, or something like that i think goes right in line with what i view a bike packing event to be a, no technology maybe a pen and a pencil and some paper to write on Yeah, I'm just waiting for someone to ask for some bikepacking booklets uh, or handbooks. And there's a number of shops that I I talk to that would just offer such a brilliant product if we were able to collaborate on one of those. We do, I have done a number of bike books or I call them great little bike books that are little guides that take people through the bike buying process with a list of things that will be helpful to know, a couple routes, a couple anecdotes. And those little booklets have done well with bike shops. But I've also had a lot of bike shops ask for the little pocketbook as a giveaway, like you were just referring to. Something with your brand on it that has maybe a a little message from you on the inside and just a little three by five little pocketbook that has note pages. I've become quite dedicated to having that pocketbook in my back left pocket all the time. I feel naked if I don't have it. And so it is fun. It's fun to be able to work with bike shops on book stuff. It's kind of the melding of my two worlds. So I'd love for more shops to reach out and collaborate with me on some of those. And I hope that we can put together that bike packing guide. I mean, I would I would buy your guide. If you had a $10 guide to 24-hour bike packing trips with your packing list, my goodness, I'd buy it right now. Yeah, it's got coffee machine. <laughs> just just five different ways to make coffee and that's all. Or, or that too, yeah. I, I always forget how much coffee to put in the filter. So maybe I should put yep. that in there. What other things would, so if you're going to do a bikepacking trip, what other things would you put in that book? I mean, obviously you want maybe somewhere to write things down, bike camping bingo. That's right. Yeah. It, we do all sorts of little fun things in the in the bike books that we've done in the past, just like that bike bingo, word search, 
Sudoku, like little entertaining things like that. But even just like how to start a fire. I think Swift Industries actually put out a fantastic adventure guide a couple years ago that was a, a bigger version of what we're talking about. And it's just wonderful. They've got some first aid, some how to start a fire. They've got some how to fix a flat. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. So anything like that would fit really well in there. And where can people inquire about those books? Mordecai Books. Dot com is my website and Toby at Mordecai books.com is my email and then at Mordecai books on Instagram. They can see probably some of the projects you've already done or some future projects. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And the, and the, the one thing you mentioned about selling these in your store, I mean, what a great way to continue your brand in a document form. I mean, most of our, most of our industry stores, I mean, we're, we're quirky, we're nerdy, we're goofy and people love that about us. Yeah. And yeah. Giving sell it to them. <laughs> yeah. Well, sell it to them or even in the bike buying process. The reason the great little bike book came to be was I just realized that there was this bottleneck of information in the sales process. And you can just see your customer glaze over where their brain yeah. stops working and they can't ingest any more information, but you have more to say. And so putting that in the little book and saying, you know what, this is a ton for, for you to take in right now when you get a chance, when you get home after a ride, sit down. I've got a page in there about bike maintenance and I've got a page in there about warranty. and I've got a page in there about why you should consider wearing a chamois. <laughs> I don't know, whatever it is. So people can ingest it on their own time. And that in a way that extends your value past the sale, past the store experience. You're, you're there with them offering your knowledge on their time. Excellent stuff. So we've both know, and I think everybody knows we're at kind of a uncertain time in our industry and, and other industries as well are going through the same thing with national pandemic. What's specialty retail going to look like in a year? Uh, I would be a fool to define that. I have no <laughs> idea. I think one of the more unnerving pieces is that we can't turn to our elders and ask, what are we going to do? How do we do this? I think in real time, we're, we're defining retail in real time. So I don't know what it looks like in a year. The one thing I do know for a fact is that 100% of your customers will be human beings. So as long as we remember that fact and we remember to try to make our businesses human focused, I think we'll be able to adapt to the ever-changing scenarios. It's been absolutely wild, in the, even in the last two weeks, to see how IBDs have just been creatively and beautifully solving the problems. It probably doesn't feel like it on the ground, but from where I sit, I've just been really impressed. And yeah, it sounds weird, but I'm excited to see how we will evolve through this. Because I think there's a scary aspect to this, and I don't mean to take the conversation in a scary turn, but I was talking to a good friend of mine, Philip from Elevation Cycles in Denver the other day. He referred to this as an extinction level event and that not just bike retail, but all retail is going to go through a massive change in the next couple of years. And we're not all going to make it. And that's scary and that's hard. But I think there's something about bike shops that is resilient, that's tough. I'm excited to see how the industry is going to overcome these challenges. I really hope to see us all on the other side of it. You said that, I, I really like the way you said that, creatively and beautifully solve these problems. And I, as an industry, yeah, we are problem solvers. Having, you know, service, the service side of things has been my favorite part of the industry, but the number of car mechanics that have come in and handed 
over a what was a bike at one time or, or what resembled a bike. And he says, I can fix any car, but I cannot fix bikes. And I know a lot of bike mechanics and techs that they can fix anything on a car. And mm -hmm. I think that says a lot for our industry. And, and we've been through a lot. I mean, if you live in the North every winter, you get through that. <laughs> yep. That's a punch in the gut every year. Yep. We've had tariffs, we've had product availability issues, but I think that I think we're fighters and problem solvers. And I, I agree with you. I, some of us might not make it, but I think the ones that do will come out the other end looking, looking good. And if you're outdoors, if you're able to get out and ride, and if you have trails in your city, it's crazy to see around here. And we're still, we're still like, I think we had, it was below freezing last night and uh, most of yesterday, but there's people that just want to get out and want yep. to be active. They're not yep. looking for a group ride. They're not looking to break any social distancing rules or anything like that, but they just, they want to feel the sun on their face. They want to burn off some energy and they're doing it. They're, they're walking, they're running, they're cycling, digging things out of the garage that were ornaments at one point, which I, I love seeing. Yeah. And I think some of the more creative solutions I've seen, so many shops going to appointment-based business just because they have to are realizing that that bottleneck is really difficult on them and their customers. And so just being generous with information and solutions and saying like, even just doing a little live stream on Instagram to say like, hey, are you dusting off your bike for the first time in 10 years? Here's your three things that you have to do right now. Just making that information known instead of having that person come in, wait in line or make an appointment. And those things could be solved quickly and you'd still be earning that customer and, and, and satisfying that customer's needs. You might not make your sale that day, but you might make the customer and they're not going to be able to do everything they need. But if they received some free information from you and you gave them some warm fuzzies, you might be top of mind when they need something. And, and I'm imagining, I mean, we've all worked in a bike store. Most of us have worked in a bike store on a Saturday where it's been bonkers. You're helping three, four people at a time. And at the end of the day, you're just like, oh, shoot, I forgot this. I forgot this. I forgot this. But if you imagine the efficiency, rather, I'm imagining an efficiency with a one-on-one -on -one appointment, that educational piece, you know, oh, I do need a bell does this when I'm on a bike trail. I need that. Oh, I do need hydration. Oh, I do need to have a, a rock solid floor pump in my garage because I'm going to bike today, tomorrow, and then hopefully not for another week, but I got to pump up my tires. Like I'm imagining that is combined with the, the 510 card that you talked about earlier as a great experience for the customer and the retailer to be able to really dive deep on the needs of, of that cyclist. I think that will yield a great result for everybody. We also have to look at the potential downside, which is you can only have X number of those appointments per day. You know, there's True. only so many hours in the day to be there for your customers. And so you really do have to make the most of that appointment. And not all appointments will be service related and some of them might be easy things, but there's just this very concentrated evolution of the sales experience happening right now that we don't know what exactly what it looks like, but everything's in flux. Just the idea of making the most of every appointment. And, and another creative thing that came across my radar the other day was requiring a, a service deposit for every appointment. So non-refundable, small nominal amount so that there's just this equal commitment between customer and retailer. And so I'm kind of chewing on that idea and working on a blog post just to talk through that. And I'd love to hear what, what the industry thinks about that concept. And then 
I'm just very interested also with appointment only sales experiences. What does that look like? In a strange way, I'm just on the edge of my seat with popcorn watching this all go down. Yeah. It's just it's wild. Yeah, I think there's definitely opportunity there. I mean, I, our, our customers have a emotional attachment to their bikes and their gear as they bring them in for service, but tying a financial attachment to it, it's just one more step to completing a sale successfully. Well, we, we've covered a lot of topics today. I hope that everybody has enjoyed the time that we've had. And, and Toby, thanks. I really appreciate uh, your words of wisdom, your insight on, on some of these topics. I was kidding when I thought you were boring. I think everything you, you do is very interesting. And I, and I love hearing you speak at Frostbike and, and posting in various places. So that's, thank you for that. I appreciate that. That's, that's ultra kind. And I'm honored by your, your comments. Thank you so much. This has been a great opportunity. If anybody is interested in the, the Frostbike seminar, it is up on SoundCloud. So it's free to listen to and download. It's also available at stewardshipretail.com. Yeah. And we can probably post some links to that in various places so that you can find those. Toby, thank you. Be healthy and get out for a ride and keep being creative. Thank you so much, Chad. It's been an honor. Yeah, hang tough. Thank you. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. <laughs>